Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Um, we're doing something different uh, on uh, the show today. As all of you who listen pretty regularly know, uh, typically we have panels of uh, people uh, talking about the issues of the day. Uh, but today we're going to do something that I think more of like the meet the press format in which we are going to have individual conversations first with uh, Democratic State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver and a little bit later in the show, Republican Speaker of the House David Ralston. And one of the reasons we're doing it this way is because early voting starts on Monday and uh, we thought it would be a good day to give people on both sides of the aisle an opportunity to talk about the issues that they think are going to play out as the entire election cycle unfolds. So joining me for that conversation is my Friday partner on the show, Jim Galloway, former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. How are you, Jim? I'm doing great. Let's get started. Let's do that. Mary Margaret Oliver, welcome back to Political Rewind. We're very happy that you are here for the show today. So thanks for being here. Thank you. It's an honor to be on with Speaker Ralston. So um, let me start, if I may, by asking you a very fundamental question. Obviously, most of the attention uh, that, that has been focused on the primaries has been on the Republican side because of the uh, very hotly contested governor's race, um, the races down the ballot for uh, Secretary of State and others. But, but you have some contested um, uh primaries as well, although Stacey Abrams, of course, has a free ride. You've got a big race for lieutenant governor for the nomination. You've got a huge field of candidates running for lieutenant governor. What are the disadvantages of not having more attention focused on the Democratic side of things in a primary election? I think it's hard to predict the extent to which the brawl between uh, Senator Perdue and Governor Kemp's, that attention is going to lessen the attention for the Democratic primaries. The, obviously, the number one, the highest on the ballot Democratic primary is Lieutenant Governor. I think the Attorney General uh, race is going to get uh, more and more attention in the next three weeks. Jen Jordan is doing very well financially in terms of her campaign raising, and she's kind of a, 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 a sparkling candidate, new candidate for attorney general. <clears throat> On the other races, lieutenant governor and insurance commissioner and labor commissioner and uh, agricultural, they're all contested, and they all have their strong supporters and all have regional support in some ways. Um, I think that the down-ballot fall-off is just always a little unpredictable, and this year, uh, Stacey having a free ride might mean that fewer Democrats come to vote. But I don't know what the turnout's going to be. Jim is more a prognosticator than I am. When you have a very unpleasant images of the gubernatorial brawl right now, uh, most people think that those kinds of negative images draw down turnout. And if the Republican... Uh, primary is down, where will the Democrat primary be in relation? And I don't have a good political science prediction for that. Yeah, Mary Mark, there's another thing that we need to, to take into consideration. Uh, uh, two years ago, we were, I mean, I mean, the, the pandemic was going full bore. And, uh, and, and, uh, a lot of this played out more in in the general uh, general election, but uh, Democrats didn't do so well because a lot of them, maybe maybe even most of them, had put a stop on on door to door campaigning, on personal uh, 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 on 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 personal uh, uh, interactions with voters. Is is that changed? Has that changed? 
I think that's changed, but also you had early voting benefits two years ago, mm-hmm. and right. which became obviously very controversial. It was very positive for the voters, though. The voters liked it. I think the voters will continue to like it. Uh, early voting and absentee ballots. Um, so the, I think it's just totally unknowable as to what will happen. The Democratic primary activity that I see is dwarfed by this fairly unpleasant brawl going on uh, between Purdue and Kemp. Yeah, have Democrats have, have Democrats uh, attempted to kind of reach out and educate voters uh, as to the, uh, the 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 extreme curtailment of of drop boxes? Like you said, they were very very popular. Very very popular, and that's a very good question. How do you do that? I mean, do you use your campaign money to tell people that the drop boxes aren't going to be there, or do you use your campaign money to talk about yourself and your goals and your wishes for to in ways to help them uh do people it'll be interesting to see how many people expect the dropbox to be there mary margaret um i don't want to focus just on the primary election i want to make uh, talk about uh, your thoughts as we start with the primaries but moving all the way through uh the fall so with that in mind um there's there's a lot of question about SB202. We're about to have our first full-scale election under the new election law that was passed by Republicans after they lost the presidency and the two Senate seats here in Georgia in 2020. Um, There are people like Alan Abramowitz on our show believe that, in fact, Democrats are going to be more energized than ever because they're going to be angry about what they think are some of the uh, suppression tactics that that those laws uh, put into effect. But what's your sense of this? I think Alan Abramowitz is more often right than I am. I think that there is among new voters, among Democratic-based voters, among very, very strong advocates for Stacey Abrams, which I'm one, uh, a real sense that the 202 bill did not help voters. It, whether you use the word suppression, whether or not the litigation is successful as it moves forward to prove uh, suppression of voter opportunities, uh, we'll see as we go forward. But there are many, many people that share my view that it was intended to put a damper on voter expression of excitement and pl- and pleased about absentee ballots, drop-off uh, boxes, and early voting. Over half the people in my precinct uh, had already early voted uh, prior to uh, 2020. So I think it's a phenomena that people expect to continue to use. And ultimately, it is likely, in my view, to cause to create greater turnout. Jim? Hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's okay. So, so we go back to 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 the issue of of uh, where do candidates put their money in a primary and what do they you know, what did they tell about themselves okay, you you just finished uh, uh, on april 4 we uh, I, I believe uh, the 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 the, uh, the latest session of of the legislature what what bragging points do democrats have is it is it a matter of achievement or is it a matter of being able to say i halted this legislation or that legislation and does one work better than the other well that's a good question i know that there are people thinking about that totally i think that the issues of the pandemic obviously highlighted the disparity of healthcare delivery and the d- disparity of healthcare results um poor and the haves and the have-nots, or African-American minorities and other minorities versus uh, people who more traditionally are likely to have insurance. I think that is highlighted. Uh, The budget increases uh, that came in part, significantly part, from uh, COVID money and CARES money and President Biden's are things that I think local officials recognize Local officials recognize, Democrat or Republican, they recognize that they have had an infusion and some protections from federal monies on uh, response to the COVID uh, pandemic disasters. Uh, They recognize that our public health system and our health system, in addition to 
public health is weak in in times of crisis. Uh, the Democrats are going to highlight the uh, really sadness of distractions of the culture wars that help no one. You know, the, the meanness of, this is kind of a personal view, perhaps more than a political view, but the meanness of pointing your finger at somebody else's daughter and saying she runs too fast and she looks funny is just incredible to me. How do you how do you do that in a in a track meet? I have several friends whose child children participate in track. How do you do that and not just look like you're being mean? Um, there is no reality of transgender children participating in Georgia sports, uh, girls or boys. There's no real there's no there there. And for us to spend time on that when we have a reality that Significant numbers of Georgia's children have not come back to school from the pandemic. Uh, they have some, where are they? Uh, 39,000, something like that. Uh, in DeKalb County, we're 7,000 children down from the population pre-pandemic. Uh, they're real issues. Two-thirds of our children aren't reading on grade level at grade three. I mean, we have real issues. And if you're making up these issues that just make you look mean, how is that a positive message for Georgia voters who care about schools, quality of life, care about traffic, care about being able to get to work safely? Well, along the same lines of talking about what happened in the legislative session, Mary Margaret, um, we uh, the governor was in Forsyth County yesterday. He signed a raft of the new education bills, which in a kind of a general way, you could say, give the state more power and parents more power in terms of what's going on in their children's schools. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and, and I'm curious how you see that playing out in a general election. Uh, it, Teachers got the pay raise that Kemp has promised them since he ran back in 2018. That's to the good for him. Um, on the other hand, you go back and remember as well as Jim and I do what happened when Roy Barnes, as governor, alienated teachers over some of what he wanted to do with education in the state, and teachers turned against him. They uh, uh, would not vote for him, and they were part of the reason he lost his reelection bid. How do you see these culture issues in the schools playing out in the fall campaign? Morale among teachers is at an all-time low, particularly this week, last week in DeKalb County. We're having a very, very serious, very serious collapse of trust in our education Board of Education. It has certainly nothing to do with book banning, and it certainly has nothing to do with a mask. Um, the, but independent of the particular bad facts of DeKalb school system, which does have 93,000 children in it uh, of this week, I believe, I really perceive this across the state, teacher morale is very, very low. And the increases that are coming from local districts as well as from Governor Kemp are appreciated. They're probably more appreciated for the, it may be more appreciated for the number of Georgia employees that make less than $30,000. To get a $5,000 raise when you make less than $30,000 is a significant raise. I think two-thirds of the workers at public, at the behavioral health that staff the hospitals uh, psychiatric hospitals, which are mainly forensic hospitals or crisis beds nowadays, two-thirds of those employees make less than $30,000. Teacher morale is low, though, and I don't believe that these book banning issues or uh, responding to parents who already had a statutory way to participate in and complain about uh, books on library shelves I have a very hard time that's a positive message for most Georgia parents. Is there a way that will, I mean, the early voting starts on Monday. The, the actual primary, the final day of voting is, is May 24th. Is there any, anything that we should be watching that might give you a measurement of, of, of which way teachers and educators and actually, as you mentioned, state employees in general are, are, are turning because, it, because it, they are an impo important sector of the vote. It's over 100,000 people that are in education, then another 100,000 that are state and regents employees. 
And that is a significant percentage of the votes, and a significant percentage, if not all, of those folks did get a raise. But they have been working under incredibly painful circumstances. You know workforce issues are the issue for both private and public employers since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We are having significant workforce issues, significant uh, number of open positions that cannot be filled, and that creates additional morale. Will the um, salary increase offset all of that, considering the serious emotional responses we've had to the pandemic and the disruption of people's lives? Salary increases are needed in Georgia. They're appropriate. I'm glad we were able to do it for all state employees. But the idea that that's going to make people spring back into happy mode following this pandemic when half, when a significant number of seats of coworkers carrying the load or empty around folks. Um, Mary Margaret, I, I, I understand, you know, we, we now say that, uh, that, uh, all politics is national as opposed to the tip O'Neill, uh, uh, who, who, when tip O'Neill, you say all politics is local with that in mind, to what extent do you worry that Democrats are going to be facing some challenges, some obstacles, given that President Biden's approval numbers are are in terribly, terribly low? I mean, he's barely breaking 40 percent in most of the latest polling of his uh, job performance. Um, Democrats are struggling on Capitol Hill with uh, between the progressives and the moderates to try to come up with an agenda that they can agree on. How could that affect the campaigns of a Stacey Abrams, of others on the ballot here in Georgia, even reaching into, say, legislative races? I would think that the problem Democrats face is simply history of midterm elections. We know that the party... um, across the aisle from the president, always loses seats. That's just history that is facing us as a reality as Democrats. I've been watching my gas prices. I'm sure you have, too, and they have gone down. But inflation is a bad word. And whether or not people feel inflation in their daily spending, they certainly hear about inflation. Inflation is a very bad word. It's very debilitating to anybody in any circumstances. I don't know how much is going to happen between now and uh, November. I think that's very unpredictable. I think there's also a pall about watching this horrible war on television. The way in which the news is covering this war feels differently to me than past wars. Uh, We are actually seeing bodies left on the street who are civilians, civilians left on the street, and that is creating, I think, uh, a pall on people. It is for the people I talk to. Watching the news is something that has become really horrific. The gas price is going down. Um, inflation, though, is still a reality, and President Biden is faced with this war, this horrific war, and what can the United States and NATO do about this crazy person yeah and 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 the problem here with the war is that you know it's this is not a a war of offense as far as the u.s is concerned uh i mean we're 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 there merely to help uh, ukraine defend itself and so we're kind of captured by 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 both russia and ukraine as to as to what they want out of it let me ask you uh, mary margaret uh Okay, we, there there are a lot, a lot of things to happen between now and November. Now, of course, one of them is is that we're waiting for is the, is the Supreme Court decision on abortion with the Mississippi case. Uh, you have uh, you know we we, we do have uh, negative growth in the first first uh, three three months of, of of this year. We'll have a another measurement you know in July and another measurement probably just before the November elections. But there's something else happening. In, in a, that's very Atlanta specific, and it starts on Monday, and that's the fact that a, a, a grand jury will be seated in Fulton County to take uh, 
uh, guided by, by District Attorney Fonnie Willis, and they will begin examining for the first whether whether a former president of the United States should be charged with the crime of of elector uh, arising from election interference. Uh, I mean, that's that's going to be a major focal point. Uh, for national news over the next, uh, I, I would say, uh, over the next term of that of of that grand jury, how do, how do you think that's going to play into the political climate? And and is that going to help Democrats? Is it going to hurt Democrats? Is it going to? Do you think it it might it might stir up Republicans even more than they're stirred up now? You have you've mentioned two major issues that we're facing. One I think is more important, and that is Roe v. Wade. I think that I predict, sadly, that Roe v. Wade would be overturned or it would be weakened in such a way uh, that it is not a viable right anymore for women. If, unfortunately, if I'm right about that, then the reaction is going to be, I think, extremely significant. I think the reality of the Supreme Court doing that is going to have a significant part, be a significant part of the remainder of the year of our election activity. I might be wrong, I hope I'm wrong, and that they will do some tweaks that will damage uh, and narrow the right, but essentially the right to choose whether or not to terminate a pregnancy may still exist, but it's going to be weakened in any event, and it, I predict, will be essentially reversed. President, uh, former President Trump um, activities to me look less and less significant in the way he is acting. We do not know, having said that, if I'm right about that or not, I mean, the way he's kind of backing away from, induce, from <clears throat> his endorsement of Purdue, the way in which he's not yet seems to be spending the $100 million he has in the bank for candidates. Uh, whether I'm right about that or not, we really don't know what his endorsement means. And the most significant thing we're going to learn on May 24th, at the after May 24th, is, is this significant worth anything? And as a Democrat uh, running, I think a whole lot of strategies are going to be played out differently depending on what Trump does on May 24th. His election was such an aberration. His quote-unquote service was such an aberration. His disinterest in the truth and his disinterest in governance and his willingness to stand up and tell the big lie, continue to do so, which it's really shouldn't be, but it's still stunning to me to see David Perdue repeat these lines. How effective is that going to be after May 24th? Fannie Willis, I don't know how long this issue will be before the grand jury. I think that she had to do something, and whatever the grand jury decides will be the decision. And I think that's the system we have, and I think the facts of, of what the former, what President Biden calls the former guy did are undisputed. And the grand jury of Fulton County, I trust, I trust the grand jury of Fulton County to analyze those facts and make a decision whether it's a crime. Mary Margaret, how is that going to be viewed as anything but political? Despite what you're saying about Fonnie Willis as, a, as the chief law enforcement officer, essentially, of Fulton County, felt it was necessary to pursue it. But how will that not feel like politics? It will be felt like politics, whatever decision is, because it's an intensely political. It's, it's an unprecedented, totally unprecedented uh, dynamic around the highest office of the United States of America. So whatever decision Fannie Willis made, it was going to be perceived and acted upon and responded to as a political act. But the basic job of a grand jury is is something we know about, is very interesting, is an essential part of our criminal justice system and criminal justice protections. And, and since I've had some experience, a fair amount of experience over time with juries in Fulton and DeKalb County, I have learned to trust juries. Uh, well, if you go, y'all have, I'm sure, been to call for jury, and you, it's a fascinating thing to go in that room and look around and look around. 
I've also participated in jury trial on a Northern District Federal Court. Look around the room. Are those people you see as your neighbors, uh, your peers, who are likely to make a good decision? That's always been my response positively. I trust the grand jury to make a right decision. Um, we've got just a little bit of time left. Um, I, I want to ask you one or two more questions. And Jim, I want to give you a last chance. But I'm curious about something. Um, Mark, we've learned that Marcus Flowers, one of the Democrats running uh, for the nomination to oppose Marjorie Taylor Greene in the fall, has raised more than $7 million for his campaign and has attracted all of these celebrity uh, uh, donors, Patricia Arquette, Felicity Huffman, uh, people like that. Should the Democrats be bothering to spend many resources beyond what the candidate himself might raise to try to defeat Marjorie Taylor Greene? Or do you just have to accept the fact that she is likely, given the composition of that district, to be reelected? I'm supporting Wendy Davis in that race, but Marcus Flowers has done a very good job of fundraising. He's made himself a national figure. And I think that the people of the 14th Congressional District deserve a right to express their opinion. And if they support her, they're just going to own that for the next. They being more particularly the Republican Party is just going to have to own that. Um, It's obviously a Republican-leaning district. Uh, she is a national embarrassment. I think the Republicans say she's a national embarrassment. And if she gets reelected, the way in which she lied last week at that administrative hearing, though, is pretty telling. I have a bad feel. I have a bad attitude about people who lie under oath. And it was just amazing to me. She's continuing whether she wins, probably win. This political science says she wins. She's going to continue to be a national embarrassment for Georgia and for the Republican Party. Jim? We Jim, went on we there. Lost we your were... audio. There you go. Oh, now there we there. go. Okay. All right. Uh, before before we we went on air, uh, we were discussing the seventh, uh, the Democratic seventh uh, congressional district, the the contest between incumbent Carolyn Bordeaux and incumbent Lucy McBath. Uh, I I know you've in, endorsed Bordeaux, but it, it, give us give us your sense of how that race is going because it I mean it looks like a fairly. Uh, uh, it, it's a respectful race. Uh, they're they're not they're they're not uh, the the two candidates are, aren't aren't uh, delving into personal personalities. Well, you know, women aren't allowed to do that. That's a, that's a bad bad image for most women candidates to be screaming and shouting over each other and pointing the finger like Kemp and Purdue do that ha, are doing. They're two really good congresswomen, and if the constitutional attack on the redistricting is successful. In Georgia, my theory is, and my guess is, it's going to be because the Republicans intentionally took an 8-6 division of Republican to Democrat congressional seats and intentionally made it 9-5 by eliminating the Democratic opportunity for the 6th congressional district. That was um, something that was very intentional, very visible, and was done in order to change the numbers of Republican House seats in Congress. Um, they're two very good candidates. They're different personalities, different kind of skill sets. Uh, Lucy McBath has benefited from an enormous amount of money from Bloomberg and others. Uh, she is uh, a little bit more of a national uh, image of gun issues, uh, gun issues and family tragedies that people feel very strongly about. Guns are the number one reason for death of children now, no longer automobile accidents. People feel that. Carolyn Bordeaux is more of a, a worker bee and a policy wonk and a person I really like in politics. All right, we're going to watch how that race unfolds. And Mary Margaret Oliver, I really appreciate your spending time with us uh, today. We always love having you on the show, and the chance to get to talk to you in a more extended conversation was really a pleasure. So thank you. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear from a Republican Speaker of the House, David Ralston, who has his own take on how the uh, election is unfolding with uh, uh, the first day of early voting coming up on Monday. You're listening to Political Rewind.
Jim Galloway and I are joined now by Republican Speaker of the House, David Ralston. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I, you've been out uh, uh, traveling the state, I assume, uh, campaigning uh, for primary candidates, yes? I have been. I'm in southeast Georgia today, and uh, after my visit with uh, you guys, I'm headed uh, to St. Mary's. And, uh, uh, you know, I enjoy that part of the job. So I've uh, been spending a lot of time doing it. Well, I, I don't think you'll be surprised if I say that the first thing we'd like to talk to you about is this high-profile battle going on between Brian Kemp and David Perdue. They had another debate last night. I want to play just a very short clip of each of them, uh, starting with David Perdue. I'll just tell you this. I'm in here to protect my state. This man has sold us out to the radical left. And did it under the guise, oh, I'm looking after you. Well, he did not. He let us down. He didn't fight for us. But well, we know we're in a fight for the soul of our state. And I have the record to beat Ace Stacey Abrams in November. And David Perdue's attacking my record because he doesn't have a record of his own to do the same thing. Mr. Speaker, what is this fight doing to the Georgia Republican Party? Well, it, it's not helpful. Um, and I expressed that to a lot of people when uh, the senator got in the race, uh, I guess, last fall. Um, we have a sitting Republican governor who, frankly, has done a good job uh, under some very difficult circumstances. Uh, you know, he and I don't agree on every single issue. I don't, I'm, I'm yet, I've yet to find a person that will agree with me on every single issue. Uh, but he... Uh, um, you know, it has done a good job. And, and so, you know, uh, the, the, I, I think I understand the rationale for the senator's campaign. I'm not sure I agree with it. Uh, I don't agree with it. Um, and uh, so I don't think it's helpful um, to the uh, party. But I'm, I also uh, take Senator Perdue at his word that um, – after uh, come the morning of May 25th, we'll all uh, join hands and, and, and go together because that's essential that we do. We're going to have to get unified as a party. And, you know, that's something that um, um, has historically been a challenge for Republicans in Georgia is to be united. Uh, Mr. Mr. Speaker, uh, Jim Galloway here. Hope you're hey, hope you're doing well. Yeah, that's that's you're, you're in you're in one of my favorite spots in in all the world, on on co in coastal Georgia. Uh, how closely do you think is is are are the are the majority the GOP majorities in in the state house and in the state senate? How closely do you think they are tied uh, to to uh, Governor Kemp's performance? On May twenty fourth, and whether whether this uh, whether this race goes into a runoff. Oh, I, I think um, um, I, I, I think we're we have our own record, uh, and I think people understand that. And and to answer your question, I'd go back and point out to you that in uh, two thousand twenty, uh, we had incumbent House members. Um, who literally had to run away from the uh, former president uh, in their campaigns because he was not popular um, and um, in their districts. We gave them issues to run on um, uh, with the hate crimes and paid parental leave and, and other <clears throat> issues that were forward-looking. Uh, and continued some of the work that we had done, such as uh, adoption reform and uh, other issues like that. Uh, so I, I don't think there will be a great um, connectivity between uh, what happens in the primary and uh, House races, uh, and I suspect the same would be true of the Senate, although... You know, I don't keep up with them as much, and uh, um, I'm, I'm focused on house races. And I, and I have to tell you that the members that are in primaries that I talk to are, uh, uh, you know, they're very proudly uh, supporting. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think if there's any exceptions. 
but they're they're supporting Governor Kemp, uh, and um, so uh, and and I don't get I don't sense any angst that the uh, primary fight will spill over uh, into uh, our races. Um, Miss, by the way, Mr. Speaker, I think your point about Republicans ha- in Georgia having a history of having uh, feuds is is really a point well taken. We can go back to the Pat Robertson wing of the party back many years ago, yep. uh, uh, having uh, uh, creating great chasms within the Republican Party. Uh, but within the next decade, you went on to uh, win the uh, governor's office as well as majority in the legislature. So I understand when you say that this isn't a new thing for Republicans, but there's something particularly, it feels to me, and you'll certainly say whether you agree, particularly toxic and potent about the Donald Trump big lie and how it has infected uh, some Georgia Republicans looking to David Perdue, uh, I think, looking to some other candidates on the Republican ballot who were endorsed by uh, uh, Donald Trump. I just wonder if this is a different kind of uh, chasm. Well, I don't know. I think we'll have to, uh, <clears throat> I think having the benefit of hindsight will help us answer that question better. I think uh, um as to the uh, toxicity and the uh, the ongoing controversy that some keep going, some keep maintaining <clears throat> about the 2020 election result um, <clears throat> uh, is a separate issue or, or can be uh, discussed separately. Uh, you know, I, I have to tell you guys that... Uh, uh, as I travel around the state, and I sense this even during the session, um, you know, Donald Trump was at one time very powerful uh, in in our party. Um, uh, revered, maybe too wide a word. Um, idolized is probably closer uh, to the feelings many people had for him. I don't, uh, this is all anecdotal, but I think I've got a pretty good gut instinct when talking to people because that's how I find out most of my best information. And I'm not talking about, you know, with all due respect to the media or to other politicos, just talking to people in my district that are farmers and small business owners. Um, he is not as strong today as he was uh, a year and a half ago. Um, I think the influence, uh, his influence is on the wane. Um, to what extent, we'll find out, I suppose, on May 24th. But, uh, um, you know, he is, he's, he's, he's gambled pretty hard, not only here in Georgia, but if you look at some of these other places, uh, um, and, and I read one of the most fascinating stories in Politico early this morning about the U.S. Senate primary up there. You know, he went up and endorsed um, J.D. Vance, and, and Vance is up near the top now. But there is a candidate in that race, a state senator named Matt Dolan, who I think is a part owner or maybe the owner of the Cleveland Guardians baseball team. Uh, who is uh, running in the middle, uh, away from Trump, and he's on a surge now. And according to one of the polls I saw, he he had pulled into the lead. And uh, so uh, then you have Alabama, which was (laughs) an interesting case in their Senate primary with Mo Brooks, who was, you know, Trump supported him very, very strongly. Um, and nobody was more um, uh, reverent toward Trump than Mo Brooks, um, and Mo Brooks' campaign, you know, starts floundering, and, and you know, former president Trump jumps off the ship, uh, uh, and 
which would be like me becoming a Florida Gator or a Georgia Tech fan at halftime <laughs> when my bulldog, if my Bulldogs were behind. You just don't do that, you know? You just don't do that. And, and so, uh, 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 so, and then later in the summer, we'll have the Liz Cheney congressional primary. You know, he, he he's going to have to uh, pretty close to run the table, I think. Um, and if he, and if it goes pretty big against him, uh, and things are going to change in this party. Um, Mr. Speaker, we had to deal with the Donald Trump, uh, uh, influence, and I'm glad you, uh, were able to give us your thoughts on that. I want it. We have to get to a break, but when we come back, let's talk about what you issues that you think came out of this current this immediate past legislative session that you and other Republicans are going to run on as we move through the primaries and into the fall campaign. Uh, We'll be back in just a moment on Political Rewind. We're back with Speaker David Ralston. Jim Galloway joins me. Jim, I want to give you a chance to ask the first question of this segment. Uh, well, I, 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 all I'm going to do is 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 ask the speaker to uh, to to follow up on on your suggestion that we when we left uh, left the audience, and that is uh, just give us give us a rundown. If you're a Republican state uh, uh, state rep or state candidate, what are you running on? Uh, how how are you reaching voters who might be turned off by Trump, but uh, but but. What are those issues? What are the, what are those issues that you that you that you think you can attract voters with? Well, you know, the, the, these are issues that I think matter to people. Uh, I mentioned the issues we had two years ago. This year, um, obviously, the issue that I was most passionate about was the uh, was mental health reform, um, and um, it was a bipartisan vote. But it was, uh, you know, Republicans can run on that uh, if they're incumbents uh, and supported it and all but uh, two or three did and one of those is quitting and going home and the other two are in uh, pretty uh, contested primaries Uh, so um, uh, mental health reform uh, tax cuts you know uh, we were we were in a good budget situation this year um, and we were able to fill, meet some needs that, uh, we needed to, to address, uh, um, and Chairman Mary Margaret Oliver, uh, which by the way, I think it's very unfair to have her on before me because she is, is she sets the bar too high, but, um, um, you know, uh, but the, the tax cuts, uh, I think were important. Um, uh, uh, public safety was another thing I think we can run on. So I think there's pl- there's plenty of issues out there, um, you know. And I tell our folks to, uh, to 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 take those. And then if there are other issues that uh, you know their constituents may feel stronger about than others, uh, but those are the three that seem to be kind of uh, consistently being employed across the board uh, it, it, in, a, in our primaries. If, if I could follow up, uh, and we asked Mary Margaret the, 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 this, uh, about this exact topic, was you have had um, Governor Kemp uh, uh, yesterday signing a, a number of bills aimed at education. Uh, teachers have gotten, a, gotten a, 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 quite a quite a nice bump in pay as have other state employees, but you also had legislation that that many teachers say would undermine their position in the classroom as to, as to what, and, and leave them vulnerable to, to, to accusations about what they teach and why they teach it and how they teach it. How do you think that's going to play? Well, that's part of a larger issue, Jim, um, uh, in my view. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we saw this play out in the Virginia governor's race. Uh, uh, parents, rightly or wrongly, and many 
places in Georgia uh, feel that they're being sort of excluded from decision making uh, in the in, in 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 local school policy, uh, and which I think is a bad place for us to be as a state. Uh, and and uh, and again, I don't know how much of this has merit. Um, you know, I know Mary Margaret talked about, uh, um, as she should have, uh, from her point of view, uh, issues that were kind of uh, solutions in search of a problem. But, you know, the perception builds up um, that that this is true. And so, you know, people start believing it. They read it in the media. They hear people speaking about it. And... Uh, uh, so, so, you know, uh, one of my uh, pet expressions is in politics, perception uh, is the reality. And um, so uh, uh, I think, um, you know, we've given tools now to monitor, uh, you know, the, what our kids are, are being taught and, you um, uh, you know, I, uh, I I don't read all the things uh, on like the, the CRT or the divisive concepts, uh, but, um, uh, you know, some of the things I've read, I would be concerned, too, if they're true, uh, that this is what our children are being taught. Um, you know, uh, I happen to think that one of the greatest presidents in this history, in our history, was Abraham Lincoln. And all of a sudden, uh, Lincoln is uh, out of favor. Uh, what, 150, 60 years past his death? Uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, did we just wake up one day and realize that our history was totally wrong? Uh, so, you know, we have to ask those questions, and, 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 and we can't be afraid to ask those questions. Um, Mr. Speaker, let me, uh, I, let me join this part of the conversation. You know, um, I've pointed out on the show a couple times that in, in states across the country, there have been uh, uh, legislative efforts or school uh, uh, board issues related to what books can be read and can't be read. And in some states like California, it's been from the left that there have been challenges to books like The Adventures of Huckleberry uh, Finn or To Kill a Mockingbird. Here in Georgia, it just happens these challenges are coming from the right. And you make an interesting point when you say, uh, when you talk about, say, how is Abraham Lincoln being taught in our schools? Part of the issue I think that people are concerned about is, the, the the bills that the governor signed don't really speak specifically don't don't haven't been addressed in terms of specific knowledge about how subjects like critical race theory or versions of it are being taught in school and so it leaves teachers in a, in a position where they're not quite sure what's acceptable and what's not do you agree that that's an issue well i'm not i'm not sure that it is uh, you know if 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 it is, I would, I would think, uh, not being a teacher, not having been <laughs> educated to be a teacher, uh, that uh, uh, you know we like we we could uh, you know educate them as to what uh, they can and can't teach. Uh, uh, again, you know, and but that's not really the the the, the, the crux of the issue for me that. The crux is, is, is how parents feel about uh, their ability to be heard and their ability to know uh, what's going on in the schools um, and to be able to have a conversation about that. And, and again, rightly or wrongly, many, many parents in this state feel that they have been shut out of the process. Mr. Speaker, if if we could just broaden that just a, a, a little bit more, uh, last uh, last summer, um, uh, July August, uh, uh, the Pew Research Center had a, had a poll out that that really sh- showed that a, a steep decline in in 
in trust among Republican voters toward institutions. You know, whether that's the church, whether that's, uh, that's, that's government, uh, whether it's large corporations. And over the last, you know, three, four weeks, we've been watching, watching in Florida this conflict brew between uh, Governor Rick DeSantis and Disney, the largest employer in that state. And it kind, it's, kind of, it's kind of a mirror image of what y'all went through a couple years ago between, between Delta and and the legislature what's the relationship what relation what what is the relationship we're looking at be, now between between republicans and and large important uh corporations in the economy um what is our relationship i mean is, 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 is it yes is it changing well i i think there is a uh um a small group within the party uh, that, uh, you know, do have a distrust of, of so-called big corporations. Uh, um, I know a few years ago, uh, I think you and your paper covered the fact that I had uh, three consecutive primary challenges uh, uh, in three election cycles. And in one of those, I got, I, I was called, a corporatist. Um, I never heard that word before. <laughs> I, wasn't sure, I wasn't sure if it was uh, they were bragging on me or not, but uh, uh, then I kind of deduced that it was uh, uh, a way of saying, you know, he favors business. Well, guilty. I do. <laughs> I, I support. I support a positive, strong business environment in this state the kind that we implemented under Nathan Deal and continue under Brian Kemp that is creating jobs. You know, I want my kids to be able to stay in Georgia and work. Uh, And, uh, you know, my daughter's a great example of that. I mean, she works in the movie industry, and she started out in New York and the industry up there went into the tank and uh, she got to come home. Uh, made me really happy because we had, <laughs> because it, it, we, we had that uh, uh, environment here for the movie industry, uh, which hey, I, Mr. and Speaker, I, I, yeah. I, oh, Mr. Speaker, I really hate to have to cut you out. I'm really completely out of time. All I can say is I'm glad the last words we're hearing from you is how happy you are about the movie industry and your daughter here in Georgia. Uh, <laughs> I wish we could talk longer. Uh, thank you, as always, for uh, uh, coming on Political Rewind, sharing with us your thoughts. It's going to be fascinating to watch as early voting begins, as the election cycle unfolds, and you know you always have an open invitation to come back on uh, when you uh, want to talk about how the election is uh, going on in Georgia. So thank you very much, uh, David Ralston. We loved having Mary Margaret Oliver on earlier in the show. Jim Galloway, thanks to you as well. Completely out of time for today's show, but we'll be back again on Monday with more. In the meantime, please take care and stay healthy. Bye-bye, everybody.